The genealogies in the Bible for many are passages that are full of archaic names and numbers that are to be skipped over to get to the more important passages. But if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know by now that in the naming of these generations, there's far more here than meets the eye. Our one horrible act, Hebrew haikus, and anglicized names. This week on A Rabbi and Pastor Walked In. Hello, it is Rabbi Ari Curtin, and this is that Ari. No, it's great. Go again. Okay. Hello, it okay. sounded like. All right. Hello, this is Rabbi Ari Carton, and it's Danielle Parrish. I sound a little like Good Morning Vietnam. Like I, I was... <laughs> well, I feel that way. We're about to look at uh, genealogies in Genesis, and uh, basically, we're looking at the phone book parts of the Bible. <laughs> And uh, uh, we're going to be doing chapters 5 and 6, the generations of Adam and the descendants of Adam through Seth, his uh, replacement son after Cain killed Abel, and the generations of Cain. Uh, and, uh, and then we're going to look also at the genealogy of Jesus from Matthew and Luke. Right, sort of how, how do genealogies function in our text and why are they important? Why would they be important to the... To the writers. And why do they always get fudged? Right. I mean, that's the funny part, because there is a pattern that uh, genealogies always have. Um, some genealogies are less fudged than others. <laughs> no, I mean, when you had to look at the lists of the people who returned from Babylon in the book of Ezra or something like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's just a list of people. I, it, it's hard to say if any of it's fudged, because there's so many of them. But... Um, the structure of the genealogies in Genesis is actually quite tight. Um, and uh, we have a book called Pirkei Avot, which means the chapters or the ethics or the sayings of the founding fathers of rabbinic Judaism. And um, in chapter 5, the first Mishnah, the first saying is that there were 10 sayings with which God created the world. Hmm. And there are 10 times that and God said, Vayomer Elohim is mentioned in chapter one of Genesis. And even though you think of the seven days of creation, there are 10 sayings, and the rabbis noticed this, and they figured that's one of the reasons why there are so many sets of 10, 10 commandments, 10 plagues, Hmm. um, and 10 scouts that defamed the land of Israel, except for Caleb and Joshua, the two who didn't. So there's a lot of 10s, and these 10s become a symbol of creation. Hmm. It's a hidden symbol that you only see if you count. Hmm. Because and God said, if I'd asked right. anybody right. before this, how many times has and God said mentioned in right. Genesis one, nobody would know. Unless you, Lahim, yeah. Right, if you if you know that. So and, and the next two sayings are there were ten generations from Adam to Noah, and that's true. Hmm. And then the next one says there are ten generations from Noah to Abraham, and that's not true. <laughs> there are ten generations starting with Shem. Noah's son, to Abraham, Shem's descendant. And so the question is, why is it fudged? Yeah, what, what is the purpose of the author? And like, what, what are they trying to describe or, or illustrate 
through their genealogies and how the genealogies are functioning in the text. And I think that for those of us who, uh, you know, went and did geometry proofs, <laughs> right, where if, if A plus B, if, and we kind of go through this logical step, this drives a lot of us nuts and crazy to not have all of our genealogies do exactly the thing that we want them to do in the, in the orderly way that we perceive they should be done, because that's how we think today. Western, Greco, Roman, Hellenistic thought, right? Is if this, then this. And we have the Pythagorean theorem and all the things that make our world go around and we can figure it all out. But in the ancient world and in Near Eastern thought and Middle Eastern thought, right, this is not so important. It's more important that you grab a a picture, an illustration of what the author is trying to communicate to you. Um, It's similar to me. Genealogies for me in the Bible function similarly as the first, very first sentence of Genesis in Hebrew. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim ve'et ha'aretz, right? It's seven words, and it immediately is a picture of completion. Not because God said, well, I can, you know, I'm stuck in this haiku stanza thing, and I can only get so many, you know, beats into this process for how we're going to produce this literature, but that it's, it's more than simply uh, only a history. It's trying to paint a picture. And you showed me in the Hebrew text that this even shows... A picture. So tell us about... Well, we're going to get to that when we do the Tower of Babel. That's another genealogy coming right. up. But um, by the way, haiku in Hebrew yeah. is smile, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, but the, the, the generations of 10 is to show that as God created the entirety right. of the world with 10, Adam, the first human being, becomes the next new human being with hmm. Noah. Why does... Adam become, uh, what is Noah a new human being? Because the whole world starts anew it starts with anew. Noah. Yep. And then the 10 generations from Noah, nope, Shem, mm-hmm. to Abraham, mm-hmm. he becomes a new person. A mm-hmm. whole new thing comes into the world through Abraham. And you see that also because God is repeating all of the commands that God gave to Adam, to the first earthling, right? Earthlings. Yep. Now he's repeating those with Noah. Be fruitful. Be fruitful and multiply. multiply. Yep. Don't put mayonnaise along with the pie. Well, and, and there's pictures, again, of the waters covering yeah. the earth. And then, I mean, that there's a whole new a rebirth here at this yeah. point. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you know, the name Newman, I had a lot of friends named Newman when I was a kid. I found Newman. Out Newman. Yeah, Newman is a, yeah, <laughs> is a name that represents somebody becoming reborn. So Neumann, Newman, and Novak <laughs> in Slavic is, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a name that means I just became a Christian and I'm a new person. And, Interesting. Yeah. So uh, that's what it actually means, new man. And so Adam becomes Noah, who's the new man. Hmm. And then Noah becomes Abraham, who is the new man. Hmm. And then, not, not in a Christian sense, but the new person right. and the new era taking right. over. So that's why you have 10. With Cain, you don't get 10 generations. You get seven. Hmm. So there's another completion right there. Right. And, and there's, a, there's always a question. First of all, what are the genealogies for? Mm-hmm. And, and the second one is, why would Cain, who married, was a fratricide, killed his brother, why would he get anything? Why right. would you mention it? Right. And the third question that's intrigued everybody since the dawn of time, and certainly since the play Inherit the Wind, is where did he meet a wife? But besides that, <laughs> you know, he didn't go to a singles bar. He just didn't right. have it back then. But um, the... Do you think Cain has a, a history and genealogy in part? Because... We're all going to be bigger than our one horrible act. I love that 
That's wonderful. That's not what I was thinking, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know that that's what they were thinking either when they wrote it. But when I wa- when I read through the text, if I'm looking for human heroes, I'm sorely disappointed almost consistently. But if I look for God to be the central character of my text and for that to be how God works with and in spite of us and through us and continued second chances, is that, you know, even within it seems to me the um, the justice system that is purpor- that's given in the Bible, there's almost always a way back. Well, one of the, that I, thank you for setting that up because that gives me a, a reason to go on to what I was going to say, which is that Cain's last generation mm. uh, is a man named Lemech, and then he gives it another generation. Mm-hmm. He has kids, um, and Lemech actually is the name of the father of Noah too, so they both have a Lemech in there. But the thing that's interesting about Lemek's kids is he's got three boys and a girl. Hmm. And the girl's mentioned last, and her name is Naama. Mm-hmm. And if you know anything, he's got two wives named Ada and Sila. And, uh, and so Ada and Sila and Naama are the only women mentioned in any of these two genealogies. That's hmm. the, the fathers were able to right. do uh, you know, parthenogenesis on their own where they can give birth as a man. You know, but right. but uh, in this case, you have a woman mentioned. And so why is Naama mentioned? And the rabbis say, because that's Noah's wife. Hmm. Noah mentioned, married her. And therefore, she was the spark of good hmm. of Cain, hmm. who gets to carry on his spark of good, hmm. but not his name, because she's not a man. Mm-hmm. Not, I'm not right, making that right. as a policy decision for modern <laughs> Uh, people, but I am saying that the, right. biblically, you the question wasn't who's your mommy, right. it was who's your daddy. Right. And so, in this case, you have Naama married to Noah only by interpretation. But the interpretation is why mention a woman unless she's somehow important? Mm-hmm. Because the rabbis don't believe that God wastes ink, so they're always <laughs> right. They're they're always like there's no mistake. No, God here. doesn't waste think. <laughs> think or ink, right? All of it together. So they want to figure out the why. Yeah. Yeah. And so, by the way, when we were talking, kibitzing before we started this, and we were talking about an organization called Job's Daughters. And, <laughs> and at the end of the book of Job, um, and in our Bible, Job comes before Song of Songs. Uh, at the end of the book of Job, his children in the beginning are all killed, seven daughters and seven sons. And at the end, he gets seven more sons and three daughters, and the, and the seven sons are not named, mm-hmm. which is unusual for the right, Bible, right. and the three women are. Right. But you know that we also have this kind of story. And that leads to Song of Songs. We have the strongest woman's voice in the, right. almost the entire Bible. Right. Speaks most, speaks yeah. first, last, most often. Yep. <laughs> and, and it's also interesting, you remember like when they go into the land finally, it's Caleb's daughter's that don't die right. in the wilderness in the generation and are talking about where's our inheritance and how can we go in and, right? Slovchad's daughters. Slovchad's daughters, yes. Right. Yeah. I don't know how you pronounce Slovchad in English. <laughs> I mean, that's his name. <laughs> right, 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 sorry, yeah. Z-E-L-O-P-H. Zelophad. Yes, Slovchad, I, I yeah, have no idea. Like, but like, there, but this is the conversation, right, of like, where where is our inheritance? And they can go in and that's right. The five daughters. I name one of my daughters. The middle name is Tirza. That's one of the names of the, of the five. It's a daughters. beautiful name. Um, you know, it's interesting because, of course, then in the in the genealogy of Matthew, we also have women named. Yes, and that's what's unusual about the Matthew genealogy. One of the things that's unusual about the Matthew genealogy is that women are mentioned, mm-hmm. and the one that gets me the most. Yep. Is that uh, David? Solomon was the son of. 
Uriah's wife. Right. Doesn't say Bathsheba. No. It says Uriah's wife. Is that to point out David's adultery? I, th- I think or to, yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, ob- obviously, right? It's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Yes. And if And the women that are mentioned, they're all Gentiles. Yes. Tamar, who is another one of my daughters. Right. Tamar, who uh, was the, the wife of one of Judah's sons. Mm-hmm. And uh, when his son died, she had to marry the next one. And then, and then when he died, she had to marry the next one. And, he, and whose name was Shalah, which means hers. <laughs> and he didn't give her hers. Right. And right. so she took matters into her own hands and seduced him as a... Some, Gina, yeah. As a prostitute, looking like a prostitute. And uh, in and, 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 and the funny place is she's sitting in a place called Petach which means opening of the eyes. And yeah. his eyes were closed, couldn't yeah. see what was going yeah. on. But um, yeah, so we so have Tamar, she's mentioned, right? right? Yeah. And Rahav. And, and Rahav is mentioned as being a zona. And the funny thing about <laughs> the word zona is it means... <laughs> We're laughing because there's an Israeli group called <laughs> "Here Come the Jews," and there's a, 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 a anyway they they laugh. They have Esther talking to Mordechai, and he says, "I won't tell you what I want you to do." And she says, "What? You want me to be a whore?" But in, in this song, Zona. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> you can YouTube it. You can it's, YouTube it's it. Here come the Jews. But the um, Jews are coming. The Jews are coming, right? Yeah. But uh, but the the thing is, the word "zona" can mean a whore, or it is also the root of the word to serve food. So mazon means prepared mm-hmm. food. And so, she, so people, the, the, those who like to sanitize the Bible call her an innkeeper. Mm-hmm. And the question is, were right. women who worked in way stations... This is Rahab, right? Yeah. I mean, right. Rahab means Rahab. wide open. Yeah. <laughs> well, the street in right. Israel is called Rahab, right. which yeah, means a sure. wide place, yeah. right? So was she was <laughs> yes. open for business? <laughs> <laughs> so we have Tamar and then Rahab, Rahab. And Uriah's wife. Right, and then and Ruth. And Ruth. Well, she's the only one who didn't have a putatively weird sexual history. Right, although she does sneak into Boaz's sleeping area in and the middle of the night. And uncover his feet. Right. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. <laughs> and it can be a euphemism. Yeah, it also yeah. could mean, boy, you got hot feet, let me cool them off. <laughs> right. But she has it, and then she says, spread the corner of your garment. Right. So this right. idea back to... Um, Talit and Tzitziot with where you're talking about a prayer shawl and you're talking about like at least the commandment in numbers of when you look upon this Tzitzit, you will remember all of your commands. I mean, I think in part Ruth is reminding Boaz, don't forget, you're my kinsman redeemer. Well, the, the word for corner is a wing. Right. And tachat kanfei hashrinah, yeah. underneath the wings of God's presence is a thing we say a lot. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and so the corner of your garment, the wing of your garment. Could also be the wing of your the garment. Wing, yeah, and so when she says, put the wing of your garment over, over me, me. Yeah. she's saying, protect take, me. Take me, yeah, put me under your aegis, put me under yeah. your authority. Yeah. Because I represent a relative of yours whose family has been disinherited, mm-hmm. and only you can re-inherit us. Right. And only if you marry me. Right. So, right. so why do you think Matthew puts these... I mean, in Matthew's genealogy, we've jumped a little bit, but, you know, just briefly, he's crafting the genealogy also with a picture. It's not quite accurate the way that we would read it all is like, but is it is this the grandfather or the father or the great grandfather? And as we look at these, um, how the genealogy is crafted, but he's very, very careful to talk about 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 is the numeric value of the name David in Hebrew. That's right, because uh, 
David starts with a D, and that's the fourth letter, and then it goes to a V, which is the sixth letter, and then it ends with a D. Dalet Vav Dalet. Right, and it's right. kind of funny because in the early parts of the Bible, it's spelled that way. But in the later books, like Chronicles, it's spelled with an extra Yud, David. So it's mm. got a Yud in there. Well, that'd be a 10, so it'd make it 24. But in any case, and since Matthew was written certainly after the, the rest of the Jewish Bible, right. um, or as David Stein would say, only the first part of the Jewish Bible, <laughs> um, but um, it, it, you would think that he would be using a different uh, calculation, but he didn't. So 14 and 14 and 14, three sets, which add up to 42. And for all of you Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy <laughs> fans, that's the answer to you know God, the universe, and everything. So Right. <laughs> So, yeah, I think, why would you think um, Matthew then is including women in the genealogy? It's not typical, and particularly these women. And Yeah, and I don't know. I, first of all, I'm, I'm kind of a novice at the New Testament. Sure. And, I, and so I'd have to rely on my teacher, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll rely back on my, why my do teacher, you Ari, which is where you're always like, think like a Jew. No, no, no. Why, why do you think it's, he's got those women in there? Um, yeah, I mean, I think in part, there is an important, first of all, I think it's important that they're Gentile, right? you know, standing huh. as a Gentile on the outside, that there's a place. Yes, this is a, a Hebrew story, a Jewish story, you know, and, and it's important that it's from the descendants of Abraham and that Jesus is, Yeshua is of the line of David, of the line descended from Abraham. I think all that's very important. But throughout all of Israel's story, Gentiles have come in. It means not the primary... Well, you know, that when the beginning, there weren't any none. There weren't any Gentiles right. or Jews. I mean, they were just my family. This is why we've been focusing even on just this first portion of Genesis, right. because it's not a Christian or a Jewish text. Nope. It's a text from before all of those things are happening. It's before it's Abraham. It's about one family right. with an idea. Yeah. And a whole bunch of dysfunction. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like all the other families <laughs> I know. So I, I think it's interesting that they're Gentiles for that purpose, that this story is... Yes, it's important. It's a it's a Jewish, a Hebraic story of the line of these these people. But there's a history of people for, who are quote unquote on the outside coming in and being that, welcomed to that becoming makes a lot of sense. Impor- important parts of the story. Now, one of the things about Matthew's genealogies, and it also fudges a lot. He sure. leaves an awful lot of people out. Yeah. People that are in the Bible and the generations, especially in the middle of the, the, the last generations from uh, the exile on, right. it's hard to tell. But the generations before that are right. listed. And so he leaves out a whole bunch of kings um, that otherwise should be in there. They don't add it to 14. So this is another example of people fudging mm-hmm. to make their symbol work no matter what. And the question you have to ask yourself is two things. Number one, you know, why a genealogy after all? But number two... Why? Who gives you the right to not give the data as the data are there? The data, let the data lay the data. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. Right, right. So when I do a, an experiment, I use all the data. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. So if you have to shoehorn the data in to make your symbol work, <laughs> does that make your point irrelevant or illegitimate? Right. What do you think? I, I'll just go back and say I don't actually have a problem with it. And the reason why is because I think, I don't think... Matthew is trying to communicate the fullness of the family tree in terms of all of the DNA. I don't think he's doing a 23andMe experiment. I don't think that's what he's trying to paint. I think he's trying to describe um, in picture and using the genealogical 
format, which is that this person belongs in this story. This person is part of a very long story, Yeshua coming, and belongs in the line of David and the line of Abraham. And I'm going to point that out by shouting David, David, David with 14, 14, 14 to say he's of David. Because that's what I think Matthew's most concerned with, that you understand that the reader understands that um, that Yeshua, Jesus, is from the line of David, from the line of Abraham. I think that's what he wants to communicate. And I'm the little boy who keeps saying that the emperor has no clothes. Right. And I think I think Matthew would, in my head, I think he'd be like, fine, okay. Like, it's not a problem for him. I don't think in the ancient, I don't think 2,000 years ago, that was a critique that came to this text. I think that they were more interested in the picture that was being drawn. We actually have another part of the same chapter of Pirkei Avot, where these numbers are, which says that um, there are punishments, divine punishments that come on the world for not teaching Torah according to the way it should be taught. Mm. And so it's always a problem when we as preachers, or anybody, but people in authority um, in science or in religion, say things that are not true. Sure. And when we teach these things that are wrong, and one of the things that we teach every year in, in, in the Passover Seder that's wrong is why did they eat matzah? Right. And they say because they didn't have enough time for the bread to rise. That's not why they ate matzah. Mm-hmm. They ate matzah because God said, eat matzah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then on their way out, right. the rest of the time, right. they didn't, you know, right. so they didn't have time for the bread to rise. But the thing is, you know, if you uh, are a sourdough, and mm-hmm. we here in California, Northern California, where the gold rush happened, a sourdough was somebody who walked around with starter dough in their, in their shirt and kept it warm, and, and then they would make more bread out of it. So you could have kept sourdough <laughs> in your shirt as you're leaving Egypt. Mm-hmm. So there's no physical limitation mm-hmm. on the possibility to mm-hmm. make leavened bread. So the reason we ate matzah was for something else. And, and we teach it wrong every doggone year, and every right. time I hear it, I go, Argh! but then again, I'm... I'm a purist. Right. Well, and and I think, you know, we read it differently than they read it and how it was written. And so the question always is, is this a problem for them? Would, would it have been a, a problem as, as Matthew's writing it or as Genesis is writing this? Or was everyone like, oh, yeah, I, get, I can see what they're doing here? Because it's not that Matthew is lying. He's not making up names that go in here. He's telling it in a structure and in a format that he wants to tell it so that it fits this. It's similar to Bereshit bara Elohim Vatarits. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, a whole bunch more happened than just those seven words, right? <laughs> that doesn't quite sum up in all of the specifics, like everything that would have happened you know, within all the spaces between It's much between better those... than the next six days. <clears throat> right. I mean, because all the things that they mention... No matter what you mention, you're leaving You're out, leaving something out. You're leaving out almost everything. Right. Almost everything. And, you know, at the very beginning of Matthew, it says this is the genealogy of Yeshua. And, uh, you know, David Stern notes that that phrase re- reflects the Hebrew phrase, Ele Toldot, which appears 10 times. 11, actually. And just 11, actually. Yeah. Nice. And one of the hard th- I, I looked for this once and because uh, I wanted to see, and people have been saying it's 10 yeah. times, and it's 11. It's 11. You found it. <laughs> see? There's more. But you know how hard... One of the, one of the things is... Uh, by the way, the book that uh, Danielle's talking about is David Stern's complete Jewish Bible. So it's an Old Testament, but in the Hebrew order of a Tanakh. And then the New Testament, because he's a, he's a Messianic Jew. And, uh, and it keeps all of the... Hebrew names. He- Hebrew names, Hebraic, right. yeah. But um, 
What were we talking about? So the ten, the ten, Ele Toldot. Oh, right, right, right. There are the 11. Genealogy. If you're looking for something, it's easier to search in Hebrew than it is to search in English. Right. Because the same word in English is not used all the time to translate the same word in Hebrew. Mm -hmm. But the problem with Toldot is it has two vowel letters in it. So those O's, Tol, Dot, right. are sometimes left out. Because all it has is consonants, and their their vowel con right, consonants right, uses vowels. Right. So some there's only one time where all the letters are there. Hmm. There's one where there's none, hmm. no vowels, and then there's sometimes where it's the first O, not the second, and the second O, not the first. And in order to search for all these things, I had to search for it, all these different permutations, and that's the only way I could find them. Wow! And it drives you nuts. And the thing is that the Bible also misspells everything. It's like trying to do a, a, a Google search for an ancient English document where everything is spelled differently every time you look at it. Right. And that's the way it is in the Bible in Hebrew. So it, it can be maddening. Right. You have, to, you have to read it. Right. You can't be sure that you're getting every single thing. Good. You have the rest of your life to continue to study. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We won't miss anything. So back to our then genealogy in Genesis. Yep. Do, do you think that it's also painting a picture? Well, like I say, you need to know genealogy, who's your daddy in terms of whether or not you're a king. Right. Or whether or not you're a priest. Right, but that's not yet here at this time. No, and, then, and so the question is what is going, what's happening? I think these particular genealogies are because God is still creating the world. Hmm. As a matter of fact, um, to get rather uh, pedantic about it, I, I did an article on the three times when God refers to God's self in the plural. Let us make humanity. Hmm. Now the human is going to become like one of us knowing good from evil. And let us go down at the Tower of Babel and confuse our speech. And after that, God never refers to God's self in the plural again. Hmm. And so this beginning time, things are still being worked out. And you have to ask yourself, what is God referring to when God refers to God's self in the plural? And the standard answer is God is referring to the ministering angels. Eh, right. There aren't right. any ministering angels in the rest of the Bible that God discusses things with. And right. so if God is doing it, why isn't it here? And why hasn't right. he mentioned them? And, and so I decided that what's going on is that God is referring to aspects of God that are plural. That is, God is multigendered. Let mm. us make humanity in mm -hmm. our image, male and female. The human being will become like one of us knowing good and evil. That is, God is both good and evil. For those of you right. who think that God is only good, look at the world. And I hate to disabuse you of the notion, but that's the problem. And the last one <laughs> is the Tower of Babel when God decides to uh, create all those languages. And therefore, all the languages in the world are equally divine. Hmm. That's what our ancestors said. And the boy there was 70. And the answer is because that's how many descendants of mm -hmm. Noah there are. And then 70 becomes a symbol for cosmos. After so that. all of these symbols and pictures, right? I mean, this right. is this is how genealogies are, are done. You have to count up Noah's right. descendants to know that there are 70. And there are 70 that go down to Egypt with Jacob. Mm -hmm. And when they come out of Egypt, they go to a place called Elim, right. where there are 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Right. 12 tr springs for the uh, tribes and 70 right. palm trees because on the way in there were 70 on the way out there's a signpost that says 70 mazel tov you made it you know it's like <laughs> and then there's 70 elders right. who all become prophets right as it were at that and um, then in order to contain every facet 
of interpretation. And our rabbis right. say there are 70 facets of interpretation. Why? Because God created all 70 languages. There are 70 rabbis in a Sanhedrin, right. the great, the, the Supreme Court. Right. And when Ptolemy, Ptolemy asked the rabbis to translate, translate. the Bible into Greek, mm-hmm. They got 70 rabbis, one in charge of each language, and they mm-hmm. called it the 70, Septuagint. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. all these hidden symbols are right. in Right, so this is what I'm saying about Matthew and about Matthew's genealogy and Luke's genealogy, that they're also both functioning with symbols and pictures and illustrations that would have rang true to the readers of their day. We can get sit back here and say, come on. You know, you missed these geni- these generations, or you skipped a generation, or it's not really the father, but it's the great-grandfather of, or how we get concerned about all those things. And, and those are fun things to think and talk about. But I don't think that the ancients um, had those same concerns. I think they were more interested in the narrative, and in the picture, and then the connections back, and seeing that, that the story that they were living particularly the first century Jewish followers of Jesus, was connected to the story of their ancestors. And when we get to Luke's genealogy, Luke connects Jesus not only back all the way to Abraham, but to Adam, all the way back to these first chapters of Genesis through Noah that we start to find in those places, um, again, this connection to all of humanity, to this big story that God is telling. And when we, for me as a Christian, when I read into New Testament, read Hadashah, and I read these portions of genealogy. They are important to me, not because I go, oh, see, now we can connect to the promise, and now I know for sure that this and this and this. You know, truth be told, if the genealogy were were somehow different, um, uh, honestly, the Abraham and David connections are very important to me, but um, if the genealogy were somehow different, this isn't the only thing that makes Jesus Jesus for me, right? If So I'm sure there were lots of people that could also connect themselves back to Abraham and to David, but that didn't mean that they were Messiah. As, and, and one of the things that's interesting is that there are three uh, centers of authority in the Bible. There were the kings. Mm-hmm. Yep. There were the priests. Mm-hmm. And there were the prophets. Yes. Kings needed to be descended from the previous king, at least in Judah, in right. the northern kingdom of Israel, and be offing each other all the time and start new dynasties. But um, and then priesthood, same. But there were castes of priests and right. those who were the priesthood of Sadok, you know, Tzadokite mm-hmm. that became mm-hmm. Sadducees, etc. But prophets were never uh, nope. a matter of who were their their parents. It was. God would choose people because God wanted this particular person, male, female, young, old, Jewish, not Jewish. So it didn't really matter. And and so and they were the ones that could speak truth to power. They were the ones that most of the time they could. And 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 you know, except for the false prophets like Jeremiah bottled all the time. But (laughs) because there are all kinds of people that call themselves prophets. There's one prophet running around today wants a Learjet or something like that. Anyway, so (laughs) please give me a Learjet because God told me I need that to spread the gospel. But anyway, um, (laughs) but but the thing about a prophet is a prophet is the manifestation of God's spirit in a human form that came out of nowhere, literally. Right, right. And and they always go, "What me? Right. How did how did that happen? Right. And so um, with with prophecy, it's the kind of thing. So people ask me. What do I think about Jesus? Right, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm a Jew, and so obviously I have different point of view. And so, um, and 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 they say, do you think Jesus? And they ask me if I think Jesus was a Messiah, and I say, I look at the world, I don't see a Messiah having come. Right. They ask me, do I think Jesus was a prophet? And the genealogies in Luke and Matthew are designed to make him look like a king hmm. through genealogy, hmm. not a prophet. Hmm. 
Now, it's not that a king cannot be a prophet. Solomon right. is considered right. a prophet, right? right? But uh, And David. But... By and large, they're known better as being kings than prophets. And in the narratives, though, of both, of all the Gospels, Jesus is often confused for Elijah or Elisha. But they, I thought it was John the Baptist is confused with being also, Elijah. Also John the Baptist. <laughs> but, but they'll say, like Jesus says to them in, in Matthew, who do you say that I am? And they say, well, some say John the Baptist, come back for the net. Others say Elijah. Right? Others say, I mean, there's this conversation, like you're of this line, right, of this kind of prophetic Community. Who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Messiah, the the Son of God. This is the response that Peter gives. So, um, you know, I think that when we look at all of the the ways in which these stories are being told, there there are multiple symbols and illustrations that the Bible writers inspiration inspired are grabbing hold of because this is how you speak to your own culture and time. And so you could say, well, Moses, you know, Matthew writes it so that Jesus looks like unto Moses, right? And yes, he does. But then there's also resonances to Elijah, Elijah, Elisha. And then there's also resonances resonances to David. And then there's also connections. I mean, this is, they're not going to grab only one line and say, I'm just going to paint this picture only with this one color. You know, people have asked me, you know, who do I model myself after? And I say, I don't model myself after anybody. Hmm. I mean, I have influences. I've had mentors and teachers and seen movies and all kinds of things that I, that I like, but I don't try to be any kind mm-hmm. of thing. It is, what kind of music do you like? I say, I like music with a good beat and good harmony. Mm-hmm. And sometimes interesting words. And mm-hmm. Sometimes I have words mm-hmm. from the 50s that are so bebop and doo-wop and don't make any sense. But I don't model myself. Right. I don't care what I am. I am... Right what it is that I actually am. I know that people do strive to look like something. Right. I look like kind of cowboy, but <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to look like a musketeer, but I could never make the hair work. But <laughs> but um, I don't try to be that. Right. And so all these resonances with Jesus and Moses and stuff like that, I just go, can't you appreciate the guy for who he is? Sure you can, sure. But also I would say that there are things that would be important to consistency within a longer narrative. And I want to be part of, I want to be my own person and I still want to be part of my family. Right. We were just talking earlier about where our families were from and, and how they got the dishes that they served and how they ended up right encountering the, the customs that they had and what type of traditions we had in our homes growing up. All of those things are are still part of who are who we are and yet you moved to california and didn't stay in missouri so there's these parts but that doesn't that doesn't mean that missouri's not still with you oh no right so we have we're we're that complex portion of all of those things we don't get to be a simplistic one-dimensional character and i don't think we should expect the bible as a text um, to be simplistic and one-dimensional and i'm only going to do this one thing right? As I tell the story, um, it's why you spend time looking at the meanings behind the meanings and the numbers or these other pictures. And we also don't expect the people who lived in biblical times or the authors who wrote the stories down following to be simplistic. No. And they were clever in the Bibles. We, 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 it's clever. One yeah. of the things we need, we need to tell you and, and really um, emphasize is that there are a lot of structural hidden symbols in the Bible. And we'll talk more about them, but I want to mention one right now, because if you start with Abraham, 
mm-hmm. you'll find that Moses was the seventh generation. Now, seven is an interesting number, and I'm going to get to another number on this. Seventy-seven right. is the number of generations in Luke, so he disagrees with Matthew. But he's also starting for Adam instead of with Abraham. And he's painting another picture. Painting another picture. The word for seven is the same word as the word for oath. Right. To swear an oath. Like Beersheba. Like Beersheba. Right. Because there were seven lambs that they used to make the covenant, Abraham and Abimelech. And there was an oath that they made when they did that. So is it the well of the seven or is it the well of the oath? And the the answer answer is is yes. yes. (laughs) And so 77. Now, even though Hebrew numbers were not a decimal system, uh, 70 is shiv'im. And seven is Sheva. So they, they share mm-hmm. a, a root. And so by saying 77, you're saying a double oath fulfilled. Right, right. So, uh, or even more than that because right. one is plural. So that, and then you also see that there's a 777-year-old person. Sure. In, All in of this these genealogy. numbers that are giving us pictures. Right. So the promise, and when God swears, they say, be nishpati, I swear by myself. God is swearing by God's self to make an oath, and the sevens are, are symbols of that oath mm-hmm. and completeness in Shabbat. So if Abraham is the 20th generation, what generation is Moses? 26. Hmm. 20, and then 20, 20 to 7, you know, starting with 20, is 26. 26 is the gematria, the Hebrew letters for Adonai, the Lord. Yud, 10, Hey, five, Vav, six, Hey, five. So Moses, who in chapter six of Exodus brings the name I am that I am right. to right. the people right. is the generation of the number of the letters of that name. <laughs> right, right. And that is uh, when I discovered that, and I discovered it in a chart mm-hmm. in a book that listed the generations, and it didn't make anything out of it. Sure. And I'm going, wait. That's twenty six, and I go oh. So um, so it, so there's these multiple turns of the gem, and just yes. for those who might be a little bit confused, um, in the Hebrew Bible there aren't numbers. It's not a number you can read. It's not like the number one or number two or number three, right? Like in terms of like what you're talking about is that right? They the, don't put the number one, two, three. They just list them. Right. You have to count them you, yourself. You can count them yourself, and they'll spell it out. But like. A is one, B is two, C is three. So the letters of the Hebrew alphabet carry numeric value. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Right, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, So that's something that's not common in um, in English. No. We don't do that. We have a number, number one. We don't use the, the letter A to mean number one necessarily, right? So, um, so in any event, that's kind of how some of these things come to pass and why it's a little bit interesting. But we've probably gone off the rails at this point. Well, where do we get to Noah? Because that's the letter Mem. Right. And, uh, and we'll talk about that when we get to Noah, which is the next time. But um, there is one last thing that I, I wanted to say about this uh, whole topic. Uh, I started off by talking about it as a phone book. Mm-hmm. And, and, and obviously they didn't have phone numbers. They didn't have email addresses. Right. All they had was parentage. Right. So if you wanted to know who somebody was, you either called them by the name of their parents or the name of the place they came from. Right. And that was their handle. Yeah. And that was the way you got in touch with Because which them. Judas are you talking about? Which Judah are you talking about? Which Miriam are you talking about? Right. Like you don't, it, there's too many. Which Yeshua are you talking about? That's there's right. too many. Yeah. I know. Yeshua figures greatly in the book of uh, uh, Zechariah, Zechariah, mm-hmm. uh, and Haggai. The, yeah. the, they were there, uh, and he was a priest. 
that's the different one. Right. And there's Yahushua, which is just Joshua, which so Yeshua is a derivative. I mean, there's there's all of these things we have to connect. In fact, I think, you know, as probably as an adult only that I learned that Judas Iscariot was not his name, right? But it's Judah Ishkiriot, Judah, the man of the villages. Of the village. Yeah. My my last name in Hebrew is Kartan, which means somebody who lives in a city. Yeah. Kiriat. But uh, no, I mean, and and so you, you find all these names. All these things we use. So there are other names. Hosea is Hosea, which is another form of Yeshua. Yeah. And the one that you probably would never see because it's, it's like the hardest one to spell in English is Isaiah. Mm-hmm. And that's Yesha, Yahu. Right. So it's Yeshua and Yahu. That is, yeah, Yahu is God. God saves. Yep. So can you imagine walking around with your name as, hey, little God saves, come on over here. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> Actually, there's this gentleman that I was preaching at, a, a guest preaching at a church this last week, and he walked up to me at the end of the sermon, and he said, I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked pastors for 25 years, and no one's ever been able to give me an answer. So that's like the setup, right? You're sitting right. there going, all right, well, sit tight. He goes, why do we call him Jesus instead of Yeshua? It's not his name. And I looked at him, I said, but you do that with all the names in the Bible. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you don't say Miriam. You don't say Moshe. You don't say Avraham. All of your names are anglicized. It's not just his name. She, he's like, looks at me confused. And I said, no, no, let's go back. They're aggressive. Right? Actually, right. they're Greek. Greek, right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's all, I said, this is how language works. And it's come into our language. But you do this with every single name in the Bible. And he goes, oh, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> that's the best answer I've heard. We could do a whole thing on that. Because I, when I listen to people... Who don't speak Hebrew, Americans, saying the names of people in the Bible, I don't even recognize them. Right. Like Ephraim. Right. It's Ephraim. And the the things like that, I just, uh, uh, I have no idea a lot of the time. Sometimes I do, but. Well, Ari, thanks so much for. uh diving into fun genealogy i think it's the i think it's the most common podcast topic out there for bible park i'm just joking yeah. <laughs> anybody else we were this. going over what were we going to say about this list of people and uh, i was like we ended up by saying a lot yeah thanks again for a fun conversation okay okay